Too tired to clean your floors after playtime? Forgot to vacuum before your friends bring their little ones over? Let Eufy X10 Pro Omni help. Powerful 8,000 PA suction removes debris and MopMaster dual mop pads scrub away stubborn stains with ease. Save time and keep your floors cleaner. Want to know more? Go to eufy.com, that's E-U-F-Y.com, and discover X10 Pro Omni, the best-in-class all-in-one robot vacuum for only $799. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. The Square Ball Podcast. Hello there, welcome to the show. It's brought to you in association with Levi Solicitors, who will offer you a 10% discount on your legal fees. LeviSolicitors.co.uk forward slash the square ball. But if you want 15%, <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. Jesus. Yeah, you can get that. Uh, <laughs> absolute Still. amateur hour. You can get 15% on the big three, Michael. The big three, the Will's probate conveyancing. Yeah, yeah, you can get that. Yeah, it's an additional discount on top of the usual um, 10%. Total 15, that is. That's not 25. I should, should stress that very, very clearly. Phil, what's your favourite, Will? There's, there's going to be some confused people calling up Levi's later. Will's probate. Pick one. Will's probate conveyance. And what's your favourite? Um, and don't the, pick the closer, the closer whatever I, you picked last week don't do that one I can't remember what it was but the closer I get to death uh, the more I go for wills good stuff everybody should have a will especially if you like owning a house anything like that you want to make sure that your stuff goes to the people that it's meant to go to that you want it to go to amen to all that yeah levisolicitors.co.uk forward slash Monday Club which is the URL we're using for these shows with Phil at the minute we will get that changed but yeah just roll with it even though it's Friday it's Friday lunchtime by the way we're recording at 12.30 here it's always worth time stamping these things because things move quickly in pre-season and pre-season feels, well, feels pretty slow to I me I was just going to say yeah, not... well, well it's glacial on the surface isn't it at first glance it looks glacial but as soon as like football league approval comes through for the takeoff you feel like that's going to be the first domino to fall yeah if, if somebody's filming this with a time lapse camera we can watch it back in a year's time and it'll look like everything happening in very very fast motion as opposed to glacier moving down the mountain over a period of about 800 years but, I mean I listened to the show that you did earlier this week and any progress on the Manning transfer? I mean, football's what's the worst kept secret was it that I described? It? I, I think so. shouldn't, shouldn't have said I think it. So. I, I knew. I know. I, we probably shouldn't say anything, should we? No. <laughs> we'll, make, we'll make for a very good show. <laughs> with it. It's just an advert for uh, for Levi's listers, and that's it. Yeah. Let's call it a day. Yeah. I think actually it's true that as time goes on, can a real time newsy podcast become harder and harder to do? I mean, imagine if you've been doing a podcast over the past week on said BBC presenter. Imagine how out of date they'd have been very quickly. Yeah, I'm glad we didn't really talk about that. Yeah, we can get into that if you want. Uh, so what did you make of the, the Man United friendly, <laughs> friendly uh, through the week? It's funny, isn't it? Like, we, yeah. were chat- we were chatting just before we came on air, started recording and saying like, you get this kind of anticipation of the first game back, there's the new kit and everything's going to be new and exciting. It's the start of a new era. And yet you switched it on and you're like, oh, I recognise him, 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 him. We haven't really started anything new, have we? We're just a bit worse than we were before. There's certain traditions with pre-season. So one of them is this tendency to try and read things into games that don't make it easy to read things into them. I was saying that at the end of the game, it was like an absolute classic of the genre, that of how much do you read into this and, and do you draw any conclusions? I think you can certainly draw conclusions about the depth of the squad and the need for transfers and so on. But 
when it came to the game itself and the tactical structure of it, particularly from Farker's perspective, because that was our, our first glimpse of him, I think there are things you can see, there are things we can talk about now, but there are an awful lot of games in pre-season that either don't match up with what comes in the season that follows. And I don't necessarily mean tactically, but you know, your perceptions of individual players can look poor in pre-season and then great during the season itself or vice versa. You have little flashes from people who've been out the picture that make you think, oh, possibly they can do a job. And then it turns out that they can't do a job because they weren't able to do a job previously. And, you know, that's that's football. And in the end, you know, I think you said to me beforehand, there'll probably be a bit of a meltdown after this game because we'll lose. It'll be a weak team. And, you know, that kind of accentuates the negatives, which was probably true. But I always feel, particularly with the first game, that you'd have to keep your powder dry a little bit. Yeah, but you, you kind of go through this. It's like a mental battle, isn't it? Where you think, I know... The logical part of my brain says I shouldn't read too much into this, but I can't help but read too much into yes, this. Yes, no, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. Every single time, which is why we all go and try and write about pre-season friendlies and you pick up on X and you pick up on Y. But something tells me that if I went back through every summer of pre-season coverage and compared it to what happened to the season or things that were predicted, and my predictions are not great anyway, but it would probably not all align perfectly and you would have things that look like they're good in pre-season that don't come to fruition, things that concern you in pre-season that actually aren't a problem when the competitive games get going. And I think there's there's that part of you when you're watching football that can never quite get into friendly mode, if you know what I mean. You know that it doesn't count. You know that there's nothing really riding on it. But if you felt that strongly about it, you wouldn't even bother watching it, would you? And the reason you watch it is because you want to see how the team's shaping up. I do think that, that there were points of interest in it when it came to what Farker is, Farker is likely to do with the team and, and what he's been doing over the past week. Because he's only had a week in the job, only a week of coaching. And there were definitely things that jumped out. Yeah, I mean, I missed the first half. Um, I was off doing other bits, but caught the second half of it. Did you notice anything from a tactical point of view then? How he's, how he's setting up? Anything jump out to you? First half better than the second by, by all accounts. It felt yeah. like we were actually trying to play out from the back. Yeah. Not completely successfully, it must be said. It, we, we did get caught out a fair bit doing it. But then, you know, you're looking at a defence with like Mullen and Clarsen in it, who are, who are not going to be starters. And, and I think that probably added to a bit of the confusion. But that, I thought, was noticeably different. And it felt like we were set up reasonably well to counter-attack in it. And it, I don't know, it definitely seemed, seemed a different tactical setup to, to Marsh, even in early days and with a team that probably contains only two or three starters come, come the Cardiff game. Yeah, it, it definitely was. But the way we decided to cover it was to look back at his second promotion at Norwich, which was the most recent one for him um, and to look at what went right for him why it was that he was able to build such a good team because they were 10 points clear of third place by the time, time the season finished so they were promoted comfortably and, and also finished on 97 points so you ask the question were they that good and I think to analyse it closely yes they were and, and as you start to pick through the numbers from it you, you get a pattern of what Farker liked to do so for example when it came to how heavily they would rely on long balls, long passes, Norwich, they'd rank 24th. You know, they're just a team who were never, ever built to do that. Weren't supposed to have that mindset. Farker didn't want them to play like that. So straight away with the, the Man United friendly, and the first half was better than the second half, and I think easier to to kind of draw little conclusions from. You can see that the passing out from the back is built around that. The idea that it will be short and sharp distribution that this will be built on as opposed to long diagonals and and so on. But also, you know, you, you could see with Farker's squad at Norwich that he had certain resources which were crucial. So, you know, Pukki with 20-odd goals, Buendia with double figures as well and a lot of assists. 
very, very good at building up attacks in a way that presented high quality chances and a lot of chances from from relatively close range, which is what Pookie was looking for. When Dia good as well at drifting off the right into the centre and looking for balls across from the other side of the pitch. It made you think that if you give him the tools, he will build a good team, Parker. He, he definitely will. So that was one thing that was in your mind watching the game in Oslo, was that the tools are not there in their entirety. That is, is definitely true. But things like the fullbacks inverting, going narrow to look for passes out from the back, just creating other passing options. Michael's right about the counter-attacking. That was where Leeds tended to look most dangerous. Although, you know, Farker's tradition as a coach or, or his track record as a coach is one who likes to dominate possession and have the ball more often than not. So you could definitely see in the game things that had been worked on, but it still looked pretty raw. Yeah. And given the what you perceive as the imbalance between the sides, it's never going to be a game that you can go into and dominate possession, is it? You wouldn't imagine? I mean, they also had a very weak side out as well. It must must be said. Yeah. This was not the anything like their full strength team. And in the second half in particular, they made a lot of changes and it was it was pretty much a youth team we were facing then. They did. And Farker put the players through a training session and uh, on the morning of the game as well. I've seen that happen a lot in pre-season, which means that you don't have anywhere near as much in your legs come the game as you would normally have. Although virtually everybody, with a few exceptions, played 45 minutes. Same for, for Man United. As we said, Man United's team in the second half, if you don't know much about them or follow them closely, barely had a recognisable name in, in the lineup. So Savage. It wasn't as if, yes. Um, uh, it, but, I, bet, I bet his dad was proud. Well, probably, oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we can do the voices now it's moved over to us yeah that's fine that's fine we always have to, um, be, we have to be grown up when we're over on the athletic feed I don't I think Savage <laughs> is probably the last person who's going to come after you for, for that sort of thing um, but yeah so it, it wasn't as if it was you know um, well they don't have to hear anymore but it wasn't as if it was first choice keeper to first choice centre forward with their team either which made it just like a classic pre-season game didn't it the pre-season vibes throughout it it was very, very expensive, the tickets for the game. I don't know whether people will feel like it was it was money well spent. But actually, it actually breaks my heart a bit to think of paying £80 for that. For, yeah. for, what, felt, for what felt like a more or less a training That's session. More, more expensive than I think we paid for the most recent playoff final that we were in. Hmm. Kind of breaks my heart the thought of paying 80 quid for any football game particularly. But maybe, maybe that's just the, the way the value's gone. Perhaps what was of most interest and what we can talk about more was what was said by... Farker afterwards and his perspective of where they are and I don't mean after one pre-season friendly i.e. how the team was looking on the pitch but where they are as a club when it comes to being prepared for the, the next season from a coaching point of view he said not enough hours in the day to paraphrase what he well, said well there aren't other yeah. I mean this not even coaching from the point of view of everything at least not enough hours in the day a summer that just doesn't have enough hours in it full stop but they are finding that on, on various fronts and you know to go back to his appointment when he sat down to speak to us, having done all the paperwork at Ellen Road, it was four o'clock on Tuesday afternoon with the first training session due to start the following morning. So you know, genuinely was in as late as he could have been unless Leeds intended for somebody else to take the initial sessions. But you just can't have that. Mm. So what do we put that down to then? Is it the takeover, the, the lateness of the takeover, the timing of it? Because people will naturally look at it and will say, this should have been done sooner. It's a combination of all sorts of factors. So... The odd factor that's out of their control, uh, the main one I think being how short this summer is and how late the Premier League season finished, which cuts out at least a couple of weeks in which you could otherwise be doing other things. I mean, see... Because the Championship finishes earlier, doesn't it, to accommodate the playoffs? Yes, but normally the Premier League season finishes much earlier. It didn't to accommodate the World Cup. So say that you finish on, I don't know, May the 7th rather than May the 28th. 
then Radazani and the 49ers, if the timeline is the same, are agreed by you know the last stages of May as opposed to the second week of June. And, and things just move forward. And then obviously Farker comes in sooner. It's not as if Farker coming in sooner would have allowed him to have done any more coaching because the players were only just back at the point where, where he arrived. But everything just becomes a little bit more orderly. And then, of course, transfers as well. And while there have been plenty of outgoings and we've had more this week, as we speak, we're still to see any incomings. But, you, sorry, just to answer the, the question properly as well. Yes, the delay the takeover, absolutely. But also, Leeds suffering from what clubs always suffer from and the price they always have to pay when they get relegated, which is that it does cause a lot of flux, a fair amount of um, internal chaos and an awful lot of hard work. There's no there's no stable platform on which to build here. Do you think they are in danger of losing control of the narrative a little bit now because nothing has moved? Whenever nothing moves, you're always in danger of losing the narrative. And when nothing moves, it invariably you do lose the narrative. But you can regain it fairly quickly by actually starting to look active and starting to, to make things happen. There are times, I think, as a club where you have to great teeth and stick to the course particularly if you're confident that it's going to work out which is to say that if we got to the start of the season or the end of the transfer window and squad team everything else was looking good and we generally felt that they had what they needed and and Farka had the resources that he needed then you're not going to get the same the same sort of descent are you people will look at it and go okay well it's it's worked out but what we've got at the moment is the natural anxiety um, which to be perfectly honest I've seen in so many summers at Leeds, that natural anxiety of knowing that things need to be done, not having 100% assurance that they will be done because who knows really what what is going to happen from here in, in the transfer market and what are they actually going to be able to do, what will they actually be able to get over the line. The anxiety of fearing that the season is going to be lost to, you know, to, to the churn and and I, I guess the delay in various things, notably the takeover and, and transfers, I was chatting to somebody on our desk yesterday and I was saying to them, in my experience at Leeds, this always happens, you know, the summer is a pretty tense time and I think the impact of 15, 16 years in the EFL when a lot of the time things were not great, things were not positive and a lot of the time there was a a kind of limit of ambition stroke none at at Leeds that, that you could see has definitely affected the psyche of people. So the person I was speaking to said, it's funny how at the start of every season, every supporter thinks, oh, we can make the playoffs. I think we could be good enough to have a go at the top six. And then, you know, the, the club end up finishing 19th and it was it was all pie in the sky. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I almost feel like it's slightly the opposite extreme at Leeds, that everybody is inclined to think, mm, is this going to work out? Well, uh, like I was going to ask, are we kind of uniquely damaged by the path that we've taken over the last 16 years, 20 years, may- whatever it is? Maybe. And I, I don't think it's... I don't think it's because people want to be negative or want to be defeatist. I just think that over time, if you think through the Bates era and then GFH and Chilino, even in League One, despite Leeds being comfortably one of, if not the biggest club down there, you know, dwarfing teams like Yeovil or, or whoever else, there was never like outright confidence that, oh, we'll blow this league away. And it was always, you know, the two seasons where it didn't happen, one of them because of minus 15 points, but also the, the season where they did go up did just about everything they could to throw away the strongest position they could possibly have asked for at Christmas. So it does affect you and it does, you know, it does kind of, I guess, colour the way that, that you think. And I do I do understand the anxiety because in, in no way with the season coming around could anybody say, look at that squad and say, it's fine, it's all good to go. 
Well, what I would say though is that there are some good players in it for the championship. There definitely are. Like, I was looking at Sinistera and who knows whether he stays, but I was looking at him on Wednesday and thinking, yes, please. Yeah, I mean, if you look at the some of the attacking talent that we've got in that squad, putting it in against the championship, your objective brain goes, yeah, they should have a right laugh. Some of them shouldn't they? Like Rutter with a fresh start seems to be in a better place psychologically. He was saying in the in the post match interview that he did with um, with Adam Pope, if we can keep Nonto, if we can keep Sinistero, even just one of the two of them, there's a lot to go out there, isn't there? And there are pro- there's probably as well a level underneath that who are probably perfectly acceptable championship subs. If we have you know if we have to play. If Pervader stays and has to play, come off the bench in a dozen games, he's probably fine. And if same with Jamie Shackleton, and I think these are people who we might be trying to move on. But if they are still there, it's not like they have they're completely useless footballers with with no role to play in it. They, I think we we've got used to having a better quality of player in the team is the thing, and you forget that the championship doesn't necessarily require that. I think the quality of individuals is great um, when you're talking about people like Sinistera, and and I also think. Verba would be a really, really big player to keep in, in the defence. There are good players there, but it needs to be a good team. And I think that, among many lessons, that was one of the lessons from the season just gone, at least getting relegated, was that, again, if you go through the squad, it's not as if you would write off every single player and say, hopeless, you know, terrible signing or whatever else. There were good footballers in there, but it never formed into a reliable or a, a kind of trustworthy eleven. Uh, there wasn't the framework. And you don't, you definitely don't get out of the championship with individuals. You don't get out of the championship with a team. You get out of it with a, a really good squad. But if you have got a good squad, individuals, the really talented individuals, are what can really get you over the line, as you saw with Norwich, you know, at Norwich with Puki and, and Buendia as two examples. Yeah, in terms of like the um, the anxiety that's surrounding this season, we know, don't we, that nature hates a vacuum and will fill it with something. And it's it's the sort of noise that you see on Twitter. The other side to this, and it was covered this week in the article on The Athletic, is the EFL rule change that means you can't really talk about takeovers. So. Yeah, well, from this point, you can talk about, not us, I mean, we can say what we like, but clubs can talk about it even less while it's pending. You'll remember that on, I think it was uh, June the 9th, um, when the provisional deal or the deal in principle between Acer Radrazani and 49ers Enterprise was announced, it was a very, very short statement that went on the club's website which seemed to me to make total sense in as much as it had been agreed it was now moving to the EFL to be ratified it seemed perfectly reasonable and sensible to say to people but mainly the supporters look this is where we're at this is what now happens so that everybody could at least feel reassured about the fact that this takeover that was being discussed was moving ahead and and was at some point going to be completed it didn't get much attention this but there are always changes every summer to EFL rules at the AGM they always introduce new rules or remove other rules tweak certain bits and pieces and one of the rules that was introduced this summer and I don't think Leeds will fall foul of this because I'm pretty sure that their announcement came before this was was agreed well I was going to say Phil the AGM was on the 8th and the announcement was on the 9th so yes. it would happen the day before so if I don't know if it was communicated to Leeds whether they were at that meeting I guess they would have had to have been they, because they, we would have been formally accepted back into the AFL and got the share then wouldn't yeah. we yeah. whether or not it had actually been imposed I, I don't think Leeds will get punished for this or, or fined for it because of the time frame but um, I might be wrong so we'll They might we'll find see. a way Well they might do they might do The rule now says that you cannot and this, you know, this, this is perfectly logical you cannot sell the club a club to another party without EFL approval that's fine but now you cannot announce the sale of the club of a club to another individual or, or party 
until it has been formally approved by the EFL, which means that you're not allowed to say this deal has been struck in principle subject to EFL approval. So had Leeds followed that, and, and will this next summer, for example, we'd be in a situation now where people would be briefing us saying, look, this is agreed and it's waiting for EFL approval. You'd be reporting on that, presumably. Not just me, everybody would yeah. be reporting on that. So everyone's saying, this yeah. is happening, but the yes. club would be saying nothing. But there would be nothing coming out of the club. There would be nothing in the way of even a two, three-line statement. See, and I, I just, I, I can kind of see why the EFL are doing this and they are getting stricter and stricter about owners and directors tests. Is, is it to take the heat off them? It's a fair question. Um, are you going to answer it? Or? Well, I do, well <laughs> you know, down, down the EFL conspiracy route yet again. Um, possibly, because they, they might say in, in this instance, to use Leeds as a, as a relevant example, they get thrown the takeover on the 9th of June at the same time as Leeds are kind of saying, and we could also do with this being processed as quickly as possible because you know time's ticking, transfer window's opening, we need a head coach and everything else. And the EFL might, and I think fairly, say in response, yeah, but the process is the process. you know. So it, it takes as long as it takes. And yeah, we can try and expedite some of it, but we have to get to the end of it in the way that we would with any other club. So it, I guess over time, and as you see now, it does turn a bit of fire on the EFL, doesn't it? But, but the situation you've just described, Phil will do nothing to change that. It'll actually only make it worse. They're probably trying to do it to deflect this type of attention. But you'll be reporting on it. Graham will be reporting on it. Pope will be reporting yeah, on it. Absolutely. The Nationals will be reporting on it. And then there'll be this wall of silence from the club and from the EFL. And people will be saying, why are they not saying anything? And obviously obviously it's great for us because people will will very sort of reasonably say to us, oh yeah, no, I'm sure this is all right. As opposed to saying to us, wait a minute, you keep reporting on this takeover that's coming and coming and coming. Where is it? And, and it's, it's the case at the moment with the EFL, when people say, when's this getting approved? I have no idea. It's strange this time around as well, because you've got high profile individuals who are invested in it, mm-hmm. breaking cover as well. Like Russell Westbrook, he's called, isn't he? I don't know anything about basketball, so I've no idea who he is. The 14th highest paid athlete on the planet, according to Forbes. He's doing all right then. Yeah, yeah. I guess. And Jordan Spieth's not lacking a few quid either. So, you know, you're hearing these people coming out and saying, oh, I've, yeah, I've, I've bought a bit of this. And you say, well, not yet you haven't, because well, it's see, not approved. The, the, they're perfectly entitled to say that. I mean, the EFL Cup, I don't think can say to an NBA player, you're not allowed to say X, but they would certainly prefer that very little of this was communicated until it was official. And, and mainly because if it was to all fall apart and nobody on any either side is suggesting that there's any danger of that at all. But you've seen takeovers at other clubs that have not been approved and takeovers that have been opposed and, and have collapsed because the EFL have either said no or things have, have gone wrong. And I suppose to... Go back to your original question, is this just to take the heat off them? I suppose you could also say it's to stop clubs basically saying to fans, you're about to get new owners, we've done a deal to sell the club. Great. But actually, the deal that's been set up is totally inadequate or just inappropriate. So it's kind of giving false hope to people. Which, or using it as a deflection, yeah, well, for fan yeah, attention. Yeah, yeah. so you, yeah. you know what it's like. You've seen some ownership structures at Leeds, but also elsewhere that you would not particularly want and, and that the EFL oppose for, for good reason. But it does leave us in this kind of limbo period. And as I say, with this new rule coming in, which I think if you, my understanding is, if you announce in principle that you've got a deal to buy the club, you would be liable for some sort of punishment, i.e. a fine from the EFL. Maybe, maybe you just take it, but um, it doesn't help you, I guess, with the, the approval process. But will this next summer, I don't think we would even have the statement, the short statement that we've got. And just to go back as well to the basketball players, you know, athletes who are saying, yeah, I'm involved in this fine for them but I think closer to the centre of the deal people like Parag Marathi 
Rudy Klein Thomas, who we've written about, and others, um, Jed York at, at the 49ers, will be loath to say much, if anything, about this publicly and haven't, probably precisely because they don't want to aggravate the EFL. Do we have any idea how much of a stake these people have got? The high-profile ones, the Spieths and um, Basketball Man. I <laughs> basketball. Larry Nance Jr. Basketball man. Another basketball man. He's a he's a point guard, isn't he? I just looked him up. Yeah. Russell Russell. That's Westbrook. how that's how I imagine people in other parts of the world, America being one, I would have thought, talking about cricket. You know, cricket man. I don't know I don't know what this is, but I, I tried to, I did I tried to explain, you know, the um the Australia run out where they uh, who was it that got out? Was it Johnny Best though? Oh who, yes, who they, yeah. Who they uh-huh. stumped. I yeah, tried to Kitty, exp- Kitty I, I tried him, to yeah. explain this to an American friend of mine about the conventions of cricket and the gentlemanly conduct and all the, the weird colonial undertones of cricket and is as he blocked you on what so yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah and I realised the more I tried to explain it the deeper I went into these and I, so I ended up sending videos of the of the long room at Lords you know of all the the Ruperts in the stripy trousers yes. and all that. I, I just like look just look at this <laughs> I try I, I like basketball I've tried to get into it but I just don't have the time to follow it follow it properly um we we we've touched on this haven't we the fact that you've got the main core of investors, which I don't honestly believe will involve NBA players or, or golfers. I might be wrong, but I don't think so. I think you're talking bigger hitters like Rudy Klein Thomas, who I know if you, the way that people do, if you Google what is his personal wealth, it's probably not going to tell you that he's hideously rich, but he is involved with businesses that make his business circle very rich. Um, yeah, it's venture, from what I it's understand. venture capital, isn't it? He's, yeah, he he's owns, controlling he, a fund that's buying into a fund. He, he owns... Mastery, Mastery Ventures, I don't yeah. know exactly how Mastery, it's, I think, Mastery, I think it is, yeah. Um, which has um, business investments in loads of startup firms. And the the fact that NBA players are getting involved in this probably links back to him because he was an NBA agent at the outset before he, he started getting into business circles. But I think most significantly, he's been very active in trying to open the door to the business world for athletes in America Um a lot of them black, a lot of them specifically basketball players trying to open that field up. I mean, I remember I was listening to a podcast with um, Rudy Klein Thomas when he said um, he had a a client, a a basketball player who went to the um, Golden State Warriors in California, which took him down to the Silicon Valley neck of the woods. And he said, you know, when he was going into business circles, he felt like the only African-American in the boardroom, you know, and actually coming into English football, I don't think you'll find it's particularly different over here, it still feels like a very kind of white male environment, the football football boardroom. But he's open. He's tried hard to create opportunities for basketball players who have a lot of money, you know, to to look for investments. And this, I imagine, will be one that kind of appeals to people. It'll be interesting to see Leeds United as one of the most progressive clubs on the planet, won't it? Well, why not? Yeah, uh, yeah. R- that- Russell Westbrook worth two hundred million. Google reckons, which is it's kind of right. It's probably about what John Henderson's worth now. <laughs> Well, I was going to say, yeah, that's like one year's contract in Saudi Arabia. <laughs> yeah, just looking at, I'm just on the Mastery Ventures website now, and previous investments they've put into like Zoom, Uber, Squarespace. Yeah. There's some big, uh, some big old names there. Well. Yeah, and also he, they have just bought into the biggest NFL player agency um, in America as well, um, which represents a lot of NFL players, high profile NFL players. So that was a big investment for them. So a lot of connections over there, which is why they will be able to. You know, create a, a, an environment where people like is that athlete, or, athletes first? Is athletes it? first, yeah. 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 Um, so I believe Klein Thomas is chairman of Athletes First now. They, 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 as I say, they represent a lot of American football players, which is why they're able to kind of create an environment where and, and have the network or the reach to be able to say to people like Spieth or you know various basketball players, if you want to get involved in this, feel free. But 
as I always say, it would be it would be amazing actually, be wonderful to get a full list of who's who, you know, like who's actually got money in this. I don't think we're ever going to get that, but I think the core group of of really really major investors, i.e., the people who are going to put in the most money and are going to dictate more than anything the the strategy of this is is certainly much smaller. I don't think any of these athletes will be in the at the heart of that. It, it feels like kind of a, a fun, I was going to say yeah. vanity purchase, but I don't mean vanity in, purchase in, in the sense the ride, that... Yeah. Would that be fair to say? Yeah. And, and possibly as well, in it to make money at some point further down the line because leads... And the whole, the whole purpose of it is that for them as well, which some people are kind of put off by the concept of that. But surely our goals align with theirs. So if, if they achieve what they want to achieve, which is to rebuild the ground, have us in the Premier League and stable, sounds all right to me. We'll say... The 49ers' attitude was, we want to one day sell this club for a billion pounds or 1.5 billion pounds. That's not going to happen in the EFL, is it? In order for that to, to occur, you need to have a totally different stadium. You need to be playing and established at a totally different level. So I think, you, I think you're right. And I don't, think, I don't think the 49ers would pretend that this is forever. You know, I think they would probably accept themselves. And, and not a lot of choice, really. If football keeps going the way it's going, particularly with state or borderline state ownership, the amount of money you're going to need to buy and own and run and compete with a, a major football club is going to be un- unbelievable, really, and and Im- improbable for just about everybody to even consider amassing. So, I, you know, could you see them here in like 30 years' time? Probably not. But I think in the meantime, they have a pretty clear idea about what they want to do and, and how much bigger they want the club to be. And if you, given that Leeds are valued at the moment at £170 million, if you've put in X amount as a fringe investor you know a small investor and the club gets sold for vastly more then perhaps you make some nice cash in it you can never tell really how much a very wealthy athlete would care but then Michael's just mentioned Jordan Henderson potentially going to Saudi Arabia money's money isn't it but some of them might just be in it for fun because they've got yeah. enough money to and be in it it's the fun, sort of thing you know? where you know you rebuild the West End you put the nice seats in it and then these are people who can fly in a few times a season or whatever and admire the thing that they own it's like a, it's a bit of a knockabout for and, them isn't and, it? and you get a bit of social media traction and a bit of attention too tired to clean your floors after playtime forgot to vacuum before your friends bring their little ones over let eufy x10 pro omni help powerful 8000 pa suction removes debris and mop master dual mop pads scrub away stubborn stains with ease save time and keep your floors cleaner want to know more go to eufy.com that's e-u-f-y.com and discover x10 pro omni the best in class all-in-one robot vacuum for only 799 dollars shopify helps you sell at every stage of your business like that let's put it online and see what happens stage and the site is live that we opened a store and need a fast checkout stage thanks you're all set that count it up and ship it around the globe stage this one's going to thailand and that, wait, did we just hit a million orders stage? Whatever your stage, businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for your $1 a month trial at shopify.com slash listen. Just talking about Saudi Arabia, uh, Saudi Arabia, by the way, I think it was yesterday that I messaged you and I said, I hope what's happening with the Saudi lot makes the Premier League collapse. And then, this is a spiteful Leeds fan in me talking. I hope it makes the Premier League collapse first, but then the Saudi League collapses as well. And the whole thing has a reset. If we're not in it, I want everyone to have a bad time. That sounds like a great plan. Yes. <laughs> the, the Saudi thing has completely changed the market this summer. I don't, I don't feel like anybody really saw it coming either. It's taken, taken certainly the, the European game by surprise. And 
Rodrigo now gone to Qatar where the money will be good, no doubt. But I think the thing that's really struck everybody this week are the, the reports about Henderson from Liverpool um, out to Saudi Arabia and the fact that his salary at Liverpool, which cannot be small, is going to quadruple, being quoted at like 600, pounds that's a week. About 35, which... 36 million quid a year we worked out, didn't we? Mm. That's a lot of money. Tax-free, yeah. presumably, um, as well. And you would assume that's more than, say, Haaland earns at City a week. And given that you'd always looked at Haaland and thought there can't be many people who earn more money than him, there potentially goes Henderson and, you know, there's there's the cash. So things are things are changing. Just back to Leeds, then, are you slightly surprised to see Rodrigo go to Qatar or is it just a reflection of where football is? You go where the money is? I think it is a reflection of where the money is, yeah. A last, um, a last roll of the dice at yeah, 32. Yeah, I don't... I don't it, it's strange because he's, he's got himself back into the reckoning with Spain, but then... I don't know whether the realist in him will be saying, is that going to last or will that peter out again? And if it does, would I have been better off just... I suppose it's not to say that him playing in Qatar will stop him um, getting into the Spain squad. And that's the thing with Saudi Arabia, actually, is that the more good players or established players who go there, the more they'll be able to vie for international caps and and appearances and call-ups on the basis that the credibility of the league should... or the quality of the league should get better, should get stronger. Um... Yeah, I think he's 32 now, isn't he, Rodrigo? The money will be good out in, in Qatar. It's, you know, it seems to be, it seems to be a draw for but quite a lot of thing people. Is, he's going to be on the best contract of his career for the last couple of years of his career, isn't he, basically? So from that point of view, you can understand it, but it's not romantic, is it? It's like the Saudi golf thing that happened. It was all the in, initial round of golfers they were signing up with, the people who were at the back end of their career, all of a sudden being offered more than they have ever earned when they were actually good. And you can see why, as a, an athlete, you have, it's hard to go... No, I don't fancy that. I want to. I, fan, I fancy a season at Middlesbrough instead. In, well, in my even, twilight years, even the quite socially conscious um, Jordan Henderson has been tempted by the Luca, hasn't he? By the looks of it, yeah. Which has been part of the um, coverage this week and part of the part of the narrative. I mean, the the Live Golf Tour is, I think, quite instructive to the way this is going. In that there was this massive, obviously, some a lot of people flocked over to it for the money and the quality of the golf, obviously. But there was this massive resistance to it first, wasn't it? This idea that there would be this never-ending fight and contest between with other tours like um, the, the PGA Tour. And then what happens, actually, they all manage to find a way to work together because, my my perspective, it looks like money talks. And I kind of feel with the Saudi project that there'll still be that thought in everybody's head about whether this is going to implode and fall apart and um, will it be flash in the pan. But I think, unlike what went on in China, I reckon the Saudis will stick it out far longer than that, than the Chinese were able to. I think there will be much more money going into it and sustained over a longer period of time. And you do kind of wonder where it'll, where it'll all end up. I wonder if they float a massive sum in front of UEFA. To try and get in the Champions League? Yeah. Mm. Surely the football authorities wouldn't wouldn't give into money in <laughs> I, such I, a no. in such a horrible Michael, way. I would hope not. I would hope they would uphold the Corinthian values of the game. Mm, very much. I'm, I'm with you. I just want the whole thing to collapse. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's the ideal. I mean, the, the, the no ownership model is particularly appealing when you look around the Premier League because it is not at all. It's people. Not it's people all. like the Saudis, or it's Qatar, or it is people trying to make money, and I don't really like any of it. Or you drop down the leagues and you end up with a. Scunthorpe situation where you you get sort of low end corrupt people. What we need is involved. we need we need the local scrapyard dealers to get back in charge, like the factory owners. I mean, the one good thing with this is that unlike Bates, who had not put much in, so could just get his investment back slowly. He could claw bits back, couldn't he, year after year by upping prices and selling players and stuff. You don't get the feeling there's there's any point the 49ers being involved for that 
side of it. They're not they're not interested in taking, you know, five a, million a year, ten million. A, a, a million quid a year out of this, are they? Because they're they're in for hundreds. Yeah. They're in for hundreds and there are, you know, multiple people involved in, in this group. It's it's kind of ludicrous that you imagine a day where somebody like Tony Bloom is a bit of a relic in that, you know, people going, Wow, somebody who supports the club actually actually owns it. Like, you know, how how did that ever happen? Yeah. Hey, Romance, hey, it's not yeah. good yet. Um let's get back on topic then and talk about Leeds and and maybe where this goes if and when we get the green light do you feel like I said before like it's the first domino that needs to fall will they spring into life do you think Phil when the approval comes because one of the things I've wondered is surely they've got this big fund with X millions in it we know that like the fund for if we'd stayed up would have been somewhere in the region of about four or five hundred million quid at least wouldn't it might not be quite as much at, at this level but even still it's going to be a whack of money going because we've spoken before about the noises that they've made behind the scenes about increased financial flexibility and yet that kind of runs counter to what we're seeing at the minute with the comments that Farker made which almost implied is we've got no money at the minute it's one in one out do you think that because the deal's not complete it's not been ratified yet that all the transactions have taken place maybe uh, the money's not in that gives Leeds that little bit more wriggle room because let's say it seems to imply the opposite it becomes harder and harder to to speak for them really I mean I, I, I know what we said about the EFL just now and the, the kind of difficulty with anybody in the, in the middle of this process when it's not complete being able to say much but we haven't had a lot of communication and, and I'm like you you know what we've been told is that they, they did want to go at this window with a big budget certainly a big wage budget they wanted to try and be positive with retentions although again it's not really in their gift to totally decide that now, I think they would have liked it had Rodrigo stuck around I don't think they would have objected to that at all but Rodrigo gets an offer from Qatar. Rodrigo wants to go, so Rodrigo leaves. And, you know, likewise, to revisit that thing about what owners do versus what they, they say, sometimes it's what owners can actually do versus what they say. So if they're saying, we want to keep Tyler Adams, we want to keep Jack Harrison, they will have release provisions in their contracts. So if they get activated and they want to go, what do you do? You know, it's fine saying to people, yeah, we'd like to keep them, but can you actually do it? So... We have, I think, reached the stage now where you can only judge them really on on what they do as opposed to what's kind of been promised or, or what's been mooted. I don't see how they can avoid getting active in the transfer market if they want this season to go well. I, I'm not in any way disputing the fact that there are good players there, as we, we mentioned earlier, but you can see that, that more's needed and you can see where it's needed. I still question whether... I, I'd, I'd say I, I like the look of Ruta on Wednesday. I've kind of always liked the look of Ruta. It's just that Last season, it didn't look like it was going to be anywhere near effective enough to get Leeds out of trouble. And, it, and in the end, he, he hardly played either. But I'm still left asking whether or not there's a 20-goal finisher in this squad. And, and I think it really does help to have that. And you can find them. You know, they are out there. Well, it's three weeks, just short of three weeks to, to the Cardiff game. But as Farker pointed out in his post-match comments... This one's probably going to run all the way up to the deadline, of knowing, it is, knowing yeah. exactly where, no, the, yeah, where the squad is. Like as we was, we've said before in previous shows, there's nothing you can do to control the lateness of bids coming in and whether you know they're of a level that you either have to accept like contractually or you feel obliged to accept because the level is so high. Yeah, you know. and and he was making the point as well that at the moment you've got players leaving on loan that's not bringing transfer fees back in. Not all, again. That's not a that that's not totally black and white because in the case of someone like Brendan Aronson, if you sell him now having at a loss having paid so much or committed so much money to him last summer it can affect your FFP calculations PNS calculations which is a slight problem I think it's fair to say as well that the idea that you were recouping much money on your ente or even people like Christensen 
and others. Robin Cock, I saw slightly differently. I think there is still quite a lot of potential there. But again, down to his last 12 months, Rodrigo down to his last 12 months, not realistically a lot of money coming back in for them, even if you're selling them. And that, again, is part of the bigger picture that the recruitment just hasn't hasn't worked. If you were losing people like Adams, Harrison, Nonto, for example, on loan, Melier, far, far bigger problem because they are players who you genuinely would expect to bring in big transfer fees, you know. Mm. Although it was interesting that Farker said, we can never let this happen again, mm-hmm. was it was his phrasing of it, which Angus Kinnear in the corner were like, oh, I don't know, <laughs> don't know who's done these deals. It was, a, it was one of Victor's, I think. But I think it's, I think it's right, though. I think it's true. And, and I don't even mean just about the, the ability of players to go on loan. I think it's the, the, the right that they can't afford to get promoted and for it to go like this again, they can't. You know, it's otherwise you just get stuck in this yo-yo cycle that you said you were never gonna gonna get into. Do you think he was getting at that though? The, the bigger picture, or do you think he was getting in again at what Michael just said there, which was about the the loan situation? Well, I, I was wasn't. About... Yeah, I wasn't there, so we weren't able to to sort of clarify any of that. But I thought he was talking about the loan situation. Yeah, yeah I, I, th- I thought I thought it was me. just the frustration of people leaving without bringing anything in, and essentially yeah. and losing players that maybe you thought well they could have done a job that maybe they wouldn't have been ideal but for if we're not getting money for them you would rather have Mark Rocker around for example I don't get the impression that Farker will be too bothered about any of the players who have left I think I think there seems to have been agreement really that those that are going kind of needed to needed to go but you're right he will be thinking to himself that's fine and that helps the wage bill and everything else but on the other hand you need to see players coming in through the door the only thing is, is he's been in for like 10 days as head coach so he can't come into this blind. I mean, he must have known what the state of play was and he must have known that it was going to be tricky. And actually, go back to his first interview with us back on the day that, that he was appointed. It was, you and I have said this a couple of times, that there was definite managing of expectations in there and yeah. trying to say to people, if this isn't perfect at the start, then A, don't be surprised and B, please be a little bit tolerant. One thing, you, one thing you can say for the championship is that it is possible to have a not brilliant start and still have a good season. But you can, yeah. if you look at the way Forest were bottom of the league and, and managed to get themselves up, and even Sheffield United going up last year, just look, they lost 11 games last season. So there's, there is scope for it to not start necessarily brilliantly. Well, in fact, we've got a, a first-hand example because we um, we did the, the guide, didn't we, which is on the podcast feed and the video feed for the game where Farkas Norwich beat Bielsa's Leeds mm. at Ellen Road. And that's the season where we went down there at the start of the season. It was his second, wasn't it, at, at Norwich? Yeah. And beat them 3-0. And they'd had a really indifferent start. And he was in danger of getting sacked yeah, it was, at Norwich yeah. there. Because they, they went to Ipswich the game after us, after we beat them 3-0 and drew one all, which probably just about saved his job. And then they ended up romping the division. They went on a massive run later on, didn't they? And uh, just ran away with it. And we didn't go up, obviously. Yeah, other, other examples. I can remember the, the year that Leeds were second at Christmas under Grace and a game against Scunthorpe that, that Leeds won. But all of us kind of sitting in the press box saying, whoever loses this game, somebody's going to be in a bit of trouble after it. Um, remember a really bad start under Gary Monk. Um, him looking like he might be for the sack until Rob Green picked that one out of the top corner. It does go like that. I, I think I think that's why with this, it would be sensible to say if it starts reasonably well or well enough in year one and then delivers in year two, that's fine. I think what will be hard for people to tolerate is if it just doesn't look like it's getting going next season at all or if it, if it looks like this summer has affected the season too much. But you're right, it doesn't need to begin like a house on fire. I think Farker will be will be conscious of that. But it does definitely need to click at some point and it's only going to click at some point if you've got the balance of the squad right. 
Do you think that Leeds fans will be that patient, like I said, given our uniquely damaged perspective on, on football and, and if things are a little bit wobbly in these in those opening weeks, people will get anxious. You know what that crowd is like? Yeah. And, and I yeah, say I that as, as a part of it. I do. But that's football, isn't it? That's what you get into when you buy a club. It's what you get into when you become a head coach. It's what you get into when you play for a club. It was one of the things McCormack spoke about in that interview recently, saying from his experience, one of the biggest things of being able to play for Leeds is being able to cope with what's going on round about you, you know, emotionally or psychologically. And I, I definitely think allied with talent, that's definitely true. And we have to remember, I think, that the 49ers Enterprises group and probably Farker himself are going to be a lot more circumspect about how this is going and the time that they've got available. It's not ideal, but it's not like the worst thing in the world, is it? I, like, think, I mean, circumspect compared to fans like wh- yes. who get anxious and yeah, 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 no, and it all no, fe- and, feeds off it. And journalists you know, yeah. from time to time. Um, it, it's it would be put it this way: it would be fairly unfair to go into the season and it to be a little bit ropey to begin with. I mean, it might, it might all work out possibly, um, but it'd be <laughs> it'd be unfair to go into the season and it'd be a bit ropey to begin with and to say it's your fault, Daniel. There has to be some perspective that says. Yeah, the summer was tricky. It was really difficult. So, you know, to an extent, we've got to ride certain things out, potentially, unless it just does just happen. And I think it's something we hate asking for patience because it's all anybody ever does in football. You've got to be patient, this, that, and the other. But this is probably one of those circumstances, especially because the club have just been relegated. One of those circumstances where you do have to be able to just hold it together. And talking about our uniquely damaged perspective, the first thing I think of when I think about starting the championship season is the 2018 season is the Stoke game and that Bielsa took this bunch of misfits barely added anybody to them and they were amazing from day one so you think it can be done with little time so that's almost the frame of reference isn't it you think well it can be done it can be done so it should be done If and, and you've won this league before so that kind of unique set of circumstances where you put all those bits of evidence together and say, well, there's no excuse for us not being top yeah, but, in the opening few yeah, weeks. Do you, do you then make that into a dart to throw at him? Or do you construct that into a feeling of confidence and say, oh, this could be this could be fine. Which is it? It's something I put on Twitter and scream and wail and panic about and everybody feeds off it and then they say the same thing and <laughs> we all descend into a hysterical tailspin. That's what happens, Phil. Well, you were saying to me the other day, you said, oh, it's all getting a bit tense and a bit tetchy. And I said to you, or is it otherwise known around here this summer? Like, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Is, is it always like this? I mean, we, we were talking, weren't we, about, about this before, saying that, can you remember d- summers where I d- I did, it hasn't I, been a bit touchy? I did write a list of pre-seasons that I've done. and Your favourite one where you had your head cut open. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's absolutely. The best, that's yeah, the best, that best was, summer you've ever well, had. That was, welcome relief. <laughs> that was actually the, that was the blueprint for how to get through pre-season at Leeds <laughs> to go and get brain surgery. Um, I, I reckoned that, out of the my first one was 2006 which was the David Livermore among other things summer I reckoned about 80 to 85% of summers have been at the very least a little bit fraught there have been some good ones I thought 1920 was good with Ben White took Harrison back on loan got Costa who was good in the championship you know did a job in the championship um, and Ketia was a good signing just didn't play that much I actually think, looking back as well, that the 16-17 summer in which they got Kamar Roof and Rob Green and others, um, Kyle Bartley, Luke Ayling, was very decent and kind of stands up to, to scrutiny looking back. But, you know... You Every, ha- but everyone still goes into all these going, we're not acting quick enough. No, people, no, no, no. But, so probably, people are looking at, yeah. like, because Southampton are hoovering up Man City's uh, young players now and spending £15 million on them. and They're going, well, we're getting left behind. 
We're getting left behind. People are moving quicker in the market than we are. They're the manager in before us and they know what they're doing. They're not subject to a takeover, so we're but, getting left behind. But the difference is that when you look back at the summers that you've been through, you're actually able to say comprehensively with hindsight, was it a good summer or was it a, a shambles? So it doesn't, yeah, but it doesn't so, affect anything that you think about right now. No, because, no, no. Because no, you've always got the benefit it of definitely hindsight. Doesn't. So I suppose what I'm saying is that every summer's going to be like this. Right? <laughs> <laughs> every summer, I mean, the one that jumps out to me more than anything, I, I don't ever include 0708 in this because that was the um, 15 point deduction in administration. So that summer, from a footballing perspective, was absolutely impossible. And the fact that Leeds got anywhere near automatic promotion the next season was was sort of borderline ridiculous. But 2011-12, when it took so long to get anybody through the door, the first signing was Rahubka, you know, <laughs> second um, second choice goalkeeper. They just could not get it together. Even Sean Harvey admitted after that, it was, you know, it had been, a, been an ugly window. Losing people like Gradle, losing Schmeichel. There had been an awful lot of summers where it's been, it's been hard work. Yeah, definitely. I think that's the, the problem, isn't it? Everyone always expects a big sting in the tail. Someone to be sold at the 11th hour and they've been hoodwinking us all along all this maybe, time. Maybe. I think summers, though, are so much easier to manage and to handle when you've already got a lot of what you need and when it's all pretty settled. So you've got the head coach who's feet under the table and um, well in control of the job. You've got a squad with a lot of players who are performing and, and well worth the, the places. So you're kind of getting add-ons round about it or trying to upgrade in certain positions as opposed to needing to do a, a bit of a clean sweep. And Leeds have, Leeds have not had that luxury very often. You will say, going back to the Chelsea game last year, if someone had asked at that point if Leeds had, had a good summer, you'd have probably said yes, wouldn't you? Because it was a decent start, wasn't it? You'd have been like, yeah, yeah Brendan Aronson. Yeah, there's a lesson there, though, really isn't fits. it? Isn't there, which is that it was the middle of August. Never you know. be, never be happy. Is that the? Um, well, this is, yeah, yeah. It's, it's Michael's you know, mantra in life. Yeah, can't be, can't be disappointed <laughs> in, in those circumstances. But yeah, the teams as they look in the middle of August are not necessarily the teams team that they look in the middle of March. Great, great example last season. With August in mind, then who do you reckon still is likely to go? Melier, Strauch have written down Somerville potentially. Yeah, I think so. Again, it's going to depend on what's incoming. It feels as if most of the players who they would have happily moved on have gone or, or thereabouts. Well, we'll see with others that they would like to keep. I think Harrison and Adams are going to be the ones only to, to have eyes on, see, see what goes on there. But yeah, I think if they get a good offer for Melee, I, I think they will definitely listen to it. Somerville as well seems to be on the list of people who they who they would move on. Why is that? Because you'd expect him to be really good in the championship, wouldn't you? Yeah, that's a good question. And we'll see whether he does. I mean, the, the thing that was always on my mind about the kind of plans for the squad was that at some point you were going to get a head coach parachuted into this or a manager, as has happened with Daniel Farker. And given that that process itself took two or three weeks to, to conclude, longer in fact, there was always the possibility, wasn't there, that, that this head coach was going to arrive, manager, and as they do, and say, actually, I see this slightly differently. You know, So say, for example, the club have thought to themselves, maybe Bamford will move on this summer, but then Farker comes in and says, no, nah, I, I like him, I'll, I'll keep him. Then... You know, things things change. Furpo, pl- pluck another one from the air. Absolutely, the, the expectation was that he would go. But say over the next few weeks, Farker looks at him and says, oh, actually, I'll, I'll have him. And he, and he sticks around. Farker out. Yeah, look at your face. <laughs> look at your face. Um, but so, you know, and, and so your perception of the squad is we need X, Y and Z. Farkas might be, actually, we need A, B and C. Um, I think they'll be fairly aligned and, and that'll have been part of the discussions in the interview process. But a lot of what was being planned prior to him arriving wasn't done with his his impact, you know, or his input. I, whereas now, 
as manager, he'll be very much involved in that. Hey says fuck at Olive Branch for Furpo. Well, I tell you what. That's my clickbait see, headline Yeah, for you. go on. See if you can find that over the weekend. Yeah. And it doesn't count if somebody does it just, you know, because... As a kind of a, a yeah, yeah, spoof. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no. Yeah. But yeah, I think for Junior's sake... I'm merely speculating. It's probably for the best if Junior went. Yes. Yeah, let him go. For God's sake. <laughs> yeah, it's like Stuart Lee used to say, I'm merely... This is merely a joke or merely speculating just to save us all from a tedious exchange of emails stroke tweets. Yes, we will wrap it up there then for now and revisit next week to see if anything has moved with the season three weeks away now. It's uh, it's not long. How are you feeling now in terms of the anticipation with, with the first game under the belt? Have we learned much from it? Has it lessened your anticipation for Cardiff or heightened it or what? Uh, there were some bits I quite liked from it really. I quite I quite enjoyed Matteo Joseph's second half. Archie yeah. Gray? Archie Gray, good to see him. He had, had a good shot, didn't he? Yeah, um, yeah there, were, there were some young players in there. I thought Bate actually was all right when he came on. He could he was probably better at taking corners than anyone else last season, so that's that's something. Um, so oh, there were some there were some vaguely exciting bits, I suppose, but it's very early to ju- judge anything by, isn't it? Yeah, I think when we get to the Monaco game, it's probably fair to start saying, okay, well, are we seeing things fall into place now and is this coming together? It's still the case, but that by that point, Farker wouldn't have had a huge amount of time in the job. But as you said with Bielsa, he didn't have a huge amount of time either. So you, you can make a, a good difference. And then obviously by the time they play Hearts, I'll be hiding in Malaga, but you want to see them annihilate Hearts, ideally. Is that what you want? Well, you know. It's only, can, a, it's I, only a pre-season I can, friend. Yeah, I can keep out of this one, really, can I? You'd like to see a nice 2 all draw and then everybody's happy, you know. <laughs> Um, but you want to see them looking like they're, uh, they're, they've got a bit of fluency to their play and that it's mm-hmm. starting to, to come together. I think this, I wouldn't have said I came out of Wednesday's game excited about the Cardiff game, but I came out of Wednesday's game looking forward to the Cardiff game because at least it actually means something yeah, yeah. as opposed to, you know, like Michael saying there is what I was touching on right at the start of this about Lewis Bate, Paveda, you mentioned as well. This always happens in pre-season that you you find yourself thinking, maybe they could be all right, maybe they could, you know, they could do a little bit of a job. Perhaps they could, but equally, perhaps they can't, and you're not going to know at this stage, are you? And you go back to that Bielsa season where Click, at this point, was neither in nor out, was he? centre-back against York, yeah. Exactly, he was somewhere somewhere in the maybes, and then fast forward a few years and we're all in tears. So what you're saying is everything's going to be all right. What I'm saying is Ian Pervade is going to play 200 games for us. At centre-back. In one season. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Well, with reference to the Monaco game, um, we've got a TSB guide coming up in your feed as well where we look back on the Tony Yeboah game in the UEFA Cup first round in 1995, which was fun to do, wasn't it? A happy time to be a Leeds (laughs) fan. The start of that season anyway. Let's not get into the League Cup final that, uh, that happened later on that season. And we will wrap it up there and we'll reconvene next week. We'll speak to you soon. The Square Ball Podcast. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie, Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu.